What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. For full disclosure, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and the host. The content here is for informational purposes only. You are stuck at here. You know, I've had my podcast. I started it in 2016. And the interesting thing about it is I was inspired to start a podcast due to border issues and border related topics. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So that's what prompted me to have this platform. I want to say thank you, Valentina, for invited me on to this podcast this is amazing this is kind of like i'd say it's my first real podcast definitely my first one as like professional you know film director and all that 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 entails but thank you for having me on the to young voices podcast to the listening audience thank you all so much for tuning into this episode i have a special guest who is the writer and director of a short film called Burroughs. If you haven't heard of it, look it up, check out the trailer. And it is a story about a young autumn girl and a migrant young girl who develop a friendship together. And it just shares this whole other part of this borderland story. And maybe a lot of the times, even as us autumn, maybe we don't think about the effects or the view that our young autumn Adi have in regards to borderlands and migrants and all those things. But he was able to capture a short film story that included many autumn actors, which I'm really excited to talk more about. It's really cool. So Jefferson, could you please introduce yourself to the listening audience? Well, thank you so much, Valentina. I'm super excited to be here. 
I'm so glad we got to do this. I'm Jefferson Stein. I'm a writer-director. I grew up in Texas um, and made, you know, films since I was a little kid, since I was like six years old, had one of those VHS cameras that like the full tape, you know, went inside and you recorded straight to the tape. I think, uh, you know, I found it in my house. It was just like dusty and not being used and just started making little films like that. And I just kind of stuck with it and eventually kind of like made it out to LA, did some grad school out here and left, kind of got into commercials. And so, you know, I did film school projects, but this is my first, um, you know, kind of like professional short. And um, it was a huge undertaking and amazing like honor to be able to do it, uh, especially like I didn't think it would ever get made because the way I wanted to make it, I was like very uncompromising in the way that it needed to be made or just like not at all. So I kind of sat on it for a while um, and, you know, eventually had the courage to kind of uh, start meeting people. And uh, I would just drive down there with my producer, Liz, uh, from L.A., um, just eight and a half hours from Los Angeles. And we just kind of like showed up and just started meeting people in the community and uh, eventually got on the community council um, the sales community council docketed. So it's like 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning at the office by the shell. <laughs> and um, yeah, pitched it and kind of the rest is history, but um, developed so many amazing friendships along the way. Larry has come to visit me a few times here in LA um, and like stayed in this room actually and like, you know, <laughs> shown around town and stuff like that. So it's been amazing. Wow, that's pretty interesting to hear your your first professional short film and the success that has just skyrocketed. Wow, oh, I know. You know, it's funny you mention about going to Sells District office and presenting the idea, and it's really cool that they allowed you to do this film because as you, I've heard you mention many times in past interviews, Q and As, and all that stuff. You've talked about how the Thon Autumn Nation is a sovereign nation. And so sometimes when it comes to media like this, it's not always an easy thing to get that type of permission to come onto the lands and to, to, to do a story, let alone a, a whole film. But it's pretty cool that they, they allowed you to do that and you're able to come in with your crew. You know, with doing my research on you and, and the film itself, I've just heard a lot of different conversations and discussions and you all really tell it so well. The film burrows, for me at least, as an author, as a person who, who lives on the res, who knows what the lifestyle is all about, the borderlands, all those things, who has come into contact with migrants, whether it's an one person or a mother and a child. I've had those encounters myself. And you don't understand what you all are saying, but hey, if you're thirsty, I can offer you something to drink here or some food for your journey and, and let them continue on with their journey. So I've had uh, instances where it's just that's just what it is. That's the life out there on the borderlands at home. And uh, it's real quick, especially the situation I always think about. And I can't help but wonder if they've ever made it. I think about the mom and the little girl did they ever make it? I hope I, I would like to think that they did wherever it was they were going. I was actually on my way to class. I was going to Thon Autumn Community College and had my lunch with me. And I was on the road heading there and it was uh, leaving one of the villages. And there they were on the road stopping me. And so I pulled over and, you know, I couldn't understand what she was saying, but I just offered what I could and said little words that I knew. 
But one thing she was hoping to use was um, telephone to call whomever. And as she was talking on the phone, I just kind of watched the little girl and she was just like she didn't have a care in the world. She was just fine. She was just playing and talking to herself and looking at things. And they were just on this journey together, going wherever that they were going. And it's situations like that that I've seen. And groups, too. Groups can be walking by. I remember one time in the backyard, I was just hanging my clothes. It was a quiet evening. And all of a sudden, um, I heard a baby crying. And this was more in the early 2000s, I believe, before it got as militarized as it is today. Um, there was a group walking by. And they were just quietly all walking by. But I, if it wasn't for the baby crying, I wouldn't have heard them turned around and then there's just like people of all ages and they were just all walking through they weren't causing any trouble nothing you know there's the good side and the bad side right when it comes to folks passing through um but that you don't hear enough of these kind of stories and that I'm sharing now where they don't mean any harm they're they literally are just looking for the better life and escaping whatever it is and this film portrayed a little piece of that, what I'm talking about. That's why I, I immediately connected with it, because I've had those similar experiences. Not only that, but it's Autumn. You're an Autumn Jewitka, right? You know, you're, they're speaking the language. Do you even have the radio station? <laughs> the radio, a part of the radio that I'm, I work at, the tribal radio station, you know? Right. I'm an on-air DJ. <laughs> So, Melis Lopez actually used to be a DJ there, and he was our executive producer, and so he was the voice in the radio in the beginning <laughs> and end. So little <laughs> things like that that just really, um, I just instantly connected and related to, and I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like, it was exciting. I was so excited. And Amaya, oh. um, the little girl, the little autumn girl, I'm familiar with who she is. I'm familiar with who her mom is. So it's just all the familiarity that I connected with with the film but yeah I'm interested after you created the film were you having any expectations of what it could be or how far it could go or what was this for you what was your end goal after creating this short film so you've got an idea for a business the store of your dreams there's just one thing to figure out everything that's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online in person and everywhere else Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. It's really hard to have like an end goal. I think with, um, you know, with like my, my project before this, I made for like just no budget at all at home with literal friends and family who had never been on a film set and the end goal with that was just to make a short you know what I mean and then it kind of took its own path and it's the same with this one the end goal was just to make a it seems like it's for me it's always just to make a project that I'm proud of and that um, I can experience something new or learn something new and then also create something that people connect with I mean I think like it's that feeling that I get when I'm in the theater, um, you know, watching it for the first time, but even like the 10th time with an audience and just kind of like wondering what's going to happen, you know, wondering how they're going to, are they going to laugh at the right parts? Are they going to laugh at the wrong parts? Like, you know, and these kind of anxious nerves. And then you have the Q and A after 
where you get to see if people connected with it and how they did. And I got to present it to so many different types of audiences um, in person all over the United States. And then it, it played all over the world. And I would get like still get messages from, you know, Otham on the nation to like people, Otham who don't live there anymore um, to just kind of like people all over the world who've connected with it. And so, of course, like that's something that I can never like plan for or even imagine what happened. You know, when I'm in production and writing, the <laughs> there's so much going on. It's just sort of like making sure that what's on the page we capture, you know, shooting. And then once you've filmed it, it doesn't matter what the script is at all, because that's not that's gone. You just have the footage you shot. And now it's like, OK, can we keep that through line and turn all of this footage we have into like a film that makes sense, that works, that is moving? And then it's just like kind of submitting to festivals. And we got so unlucky because right when we when we completed the film, we got a premiere offer at a big festival. And it was like the biggest one I'd ever even gotten in contact with and it was Tribeca and then COVID happened and Tribeca got canceled and then and South by Southwest got canceled and so it was just an entire year of just sitting on this film that was done and not being able to like get it out into the world and everything like that and that was a really tough year just because I felt that we were so close to the end of the journey and that really ended up being the beginning because uh, a year later, we ended up premiering at Tribeca again, and that sort of kick-started this whole process of all these festivals getting involved. And um, it was at the National Gallery of Art, like in Washington, D.C. It played there, which is just crazy. Like places like that, getting an email from a place like that, like, you know, hey, can we, you know what I mean? You're like, what? It's sort of just like, it's you know, because to me, like, it's just this film we made with people that we love and... Um, and people connected with and then this journey that it's had has been uh, massively surreal and unexpected and it's something you just can't plan for <laughs> so i hope it continues and we make uh, our feature film i mean ever since it came out it feels like so many awards so many recognition and it is gone international and that's pretty amazing to see and it seems like folks are really excited and just intrigued and interested and just wanting to know more and i'm glad that if they have that that urge to know or eagerness to learn more that they can um look at information um, in regards to what we deal with and what we have been dealing with for a very long time, you know. For me, when it came to the presence of like, we're next to an international border, you know, growing up out there, I never thought of it, never was anything. But it wasn't until I would say about it when it was about the late 90s, early 2000s for me, and I was a, a teenager, I was like 12, 13 years old, when mm -hmm. things started to kind of slowly um, show, you know, border presence and things like that. But at the time, I still didn't really quite, um, it, it still wasn't grasping me. Uh, and, and here I am. And we're at where we're at today. And uh, never imagined that we'd be where we're at um, with everything. But, you know, life has changed, but life hasn't changed at the same time for us here mm -hmm. at home. And that's something that I learned really on in talking with people and research and things like how, you know, in the 90s and in the 80s, like migration through the nation, uh, it wasn't politicized then. It wasn't like it is now. And then after, you know, 9-11, the border militarized and then it just got kind of 
it was the beginning of and it got militarized again after the election in 2016 um and i just can't really imagine that was really something that struck me emotionally was just like you know you have this home and, and then yeah, you have like an army you know just like sitting there and man i mean even even the times that we drove to the nation having to go through the border patrol checkpoints we're still in the united states like you know we're still in the united states going through border patrol checkpoints uh getting in and out of the nation was very surreal and strange and um and then just seeing all the border patrol cars everywhere like seeing the often police cars and then the border patrol cars and even when we were filming it was uh kind of nuts because we had to make our own border patrol cars so we rented some like white cars from the rental car rental you know near the airport and uh got stickers and put them on there and everything and the border patrol people were like very friendly and they were like joking around with us and like put us in the movie put us in the movie I was like no <laughs> like and then when we were filming out there they would fly up around near us like a hundred feet up in the air and like sand and everything would blow around everywhere um and we'd be like i don't know what they were doing but in in that one scene that helicopter is a real border patrol helicopter in the background that was just like doing its own thing and just happened to be in the background on that morning on in that specific shot and it we just we just captured it so there is this you know it is a fictional film um but it's all you know real often playing kind of versions of themselves and you know it it's really been amazing to to see the effect it's had, I think, because for instance, I don't know why, but I didn't quite realize how, I mean, our goal was like, we we really wanted Otham uh, to be captured like as a language and preserved. And I know that that was a big initiative of the nation was there were like fewer and fewer speakers and especially on the other side of the border, it's becoming less and less spoken. And um, I read the statistic that like every like every hour, like three languages are lost forever in, in the world. It, it's crazy. It's a, it's way higher than you think. It's some statistic like that. And so it really was a goal of mine to capture it authentically and real. And so it was never going to be anything other than that. So when we had the screening at the nation in um, Baba Kivri at the high school there, and we had Virginia and Amaya and Larry all up on stage there in the auditorium, um, you know, just hearing Larry talk about, you know, seeing yourself reflected uh, in that way it had, and how impactful that was for him um, and just kind of knowing that there's someone watching this film in another country and they're seeing like an old awesome kid up there and what that means. And um, that was probably one of my most like special moments. And, uh, of kind of like getting to see that and how um, I just wanted to make a film that <laughs> showed this issue. And I thought that, you know, in a lot of ways, it has been covered in the news, but it isn't known. And so I'm amazed that we were able to make this film in the way we were, because it kind of seemed like the nation in a lot of ways had media fatigue, like a lot of film crews, a lot of mm-hmm. crews had been down and news crews and things like that. And they kept capturing the story over and over again, but it wasn't quite resonating. Um, because I thought that the author perspective was such an important one um, and it was getting kind of forgotten. It, they kept focusing on, you know, that it was like the United States and Mexico, but it's the tri-nation area. It's more than that. And that makes it a really special and unique place in the world. And that that perspective seemed to not be quite getting through and for how heartbreaking it was to um, kind of hear more and more about the situation and um so many people I met while I was living nearby. It was 
really impactful and they all shaped the story. And that's, I mean, that I know for sure is why it ended up becoming as a real kind of feeling as I think you're, you're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, just the way that the film was, it was like, again, the authenticity, you hear that a lot when you're talking to different people, people acknowledge that and people recognize that and make that connection instantly. I feel like, um, because it did that for me, but I want to know more about the autumn, how I know a lot of them were not, you know, actual actors, but they did so well. Like, what was that like? Especially um, the, uh, the hoodie, what was uh, Virginia? Virginia. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Her, that was like probably my favorite part of the whole movie was, the fact that when she used all three languages, because there are not very many, but there are few autumn that do still mm-hmm. have like the English, the autumn, and the uh, the Spanish speaking autumn. Mm-hmm. How what was that like with her? How did you how did you do that with these autumn and them becoming actors? Yeah, I mean, um, well, thank you. We had we got so incredibly lucky in finding the people that we found. Um, it almost seemed like there was no other person to play those characters than the people who we found to play them. Um, it felt kind of like meant to be. It was really important in the film, you know, that that Virginia, the Gagi who plays the grandmother, you know, speaks all three languages. And so as we're casting, we're trying to, you know, a lot of the grandmothers do speak uh all three but virginia specifically was born in mexico and so she grew up speaking spanish she grew up speaking english and she grew up speaking autumn and so um she we held an open audition she was the first person we were trying to cast um held an open audition at the rec and she came like right when it started and not many people came and she came right when it started but she said she would not audition because she had no interest being in the film (laughs) And she also happened to sing. She sang for the her church. So she was perfect. And so we just sat there, me and her, because not many people were coming to the auditions. And so I had like an hour long conversation with her. She was sitting in the audition chair. So we were talking, but she was make, making it sure that she was not auditioning. And so she told me so many stories and um, just about her life and it was amazing and she drives this big black suburban and she's just like super independent and tough and I was like there's just no one else and so I just kept asking her will you play this part we play this part she's like no I can't do that I can't do that I can't do that okay fine so then we keep trying to cast the other parts and then um, we're finding some people here and there but no one that's as good and so it's kind of heartbreaking when you know there's someone amazing for the role but they can't do it or they don't want to do it and so I think it was like a week before shooting or 10 days before shooting and I called her and I was just like I have asked every I every time I ask people in town who we should pick for this everyone says your name every single person and so you have to do this please do it and then she was like doing something else and she was like okay I'll do it <laughs> And I was like, what? And so it's just like I annoyed her enough and she just like finally said yes. Um, but the theme of the film was like they didn't know what they were getting into. I in my, you know, didn't know what like we were really getting into. And so it was sort of this whole journey of kind of discovering it together. Um, you know, I'd never shot out in the desert. I'd never sh- filmed anything that removed from kind of like a home base of like a place you can rent cameras and gear and things like that so when things like break down 
it becomes, uh, you know, diff- more difficult. Um, I got my car stuck in the sand, you know, like <laughs> maybe six different times, you know, and Larry can attest to the crazy the trips we went on trying to find locations and, and me just getting stuck in the sand constantly. <laughs> Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, but directing them wasn't difficult at all. And I think a lot of people kind of have that misconception with non-actors or first-time actors, people without formal training or aren't like, quote, like professional actors, that it's going to be tough and really hard to direct and all this kind of stuff. And it's actually just the opposite. Because if you can really cast and put the time in to cast the right people and find the people that are just so perfect for it, it was not a challenge to direct Virginia. She was crying in in most of those takes. It's hard to see because of the lighting, but mm-hmm. she was just fully going for it. Um, Virginia and I wrote that song together the morning of um, with the help wow. of uh, Camillus with like I had the lyrics and then she helped con- convert it into Awesome, and then into Spanish and Camillus sang a tune into his phone and then mm-hmm. sent me a voicemail of the tune so we mm-hmm. kind of all wrote the song together and it was just little special things like that that just made me feel like it was really a special thing that we were we were doing wow that's pretty cool I mean that's a little backstory to uh, Virginia's part in the film um, who is the grandma to Amaya and, you know, even when they were all in the kitchen, it, again, connected me and, and brought back memories of me and my younger brother in the kitchen with our um, grandma, Aruru'u. And she only spoke Otham, too. Um, she didn't speak English. Uh, but we understood each other, even though we spoke little Otham. Um, but oh, we, wow. we just all understood each other naturally. It was the same kind of environment where she would either be humming or just rocking back and forth. She'd always just be singing Google Sheet, Google, Google Sheet, which means eat, eat. Because like as kids, you know, you want to mess around at the table. You're eating, but you're playing and you're joking and you're laughing. Uh, but um, she just sat there a lot of times and ate with us. But um, this um, one job of grandmas is to eat, <laughs> to make sure you eat. Yeah. I had a British, I had a British grandma and she was kind of similar. She did. I think she was born in the Great Depression, so she um, and she lived through World War II with the bombings of London. Wow! And so um, she actually had to leave London uh, during the war because the house next to hers got bombed, and everyone died at night. Like the wow. family friends in the next door, so her mother sent her like into the countryside. Um, but whenever we would have any get-togethers, you had no food that could go wasted, and <laughs> there were times where she would be like pulling the 
the chicken like uh bones and carcass and everything like out of the trash can and, and telling my mom that there's still there's still meat on here there's still bones and stuff like that and we're like like we get another chicken like it's gonna be okay and she's like well we can like make up you know there's like a certain universality of grandmas you know a generation's that far removed um I think that um I don't know grandkids can kind of identify with yeah, yeah. So it just that part in the film really brought back those memories. But, you know, everyday life for Autumn, how everything um, from even from the traditional games of Tolka, which, you know, of course, you you know, we just had our um, 84th yeah, annual. Right yeah. Yeah. The whole Tolka tournament this I'm past weekend. I'm so sad I missed it. I was talking with Larry and really trying to come down and. Um... I wasn't able to come, but hopefully mm-hmm. next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was really cool to to see that all come back and just the competition that goes into it. But again, how it was included in the film, and yes, yeah, so, <clears throat> so, um, it was just really cool to see that. And then Mondo's, <laughs> Mondo's kitchen, the little, uh, the little <laughs> food stand. Which, for those who are not familiar with Autumn Community, it really is a absolute. A representation of our community in this short film is exactly what it is there's no there's nothing fake about it it's all real it's our lifestyle is is how uh, what is portrayed in the film everything is um real and it was just really cool even to see that little part and then they're sitting there eating jimith and you know the tortillas i love that part mm-hmm. yeah i mean that that's what something that was so special was just Having the community open in the way that it did was amazing. Uh, being able to film in the places we did and trying to create. That's what's kind of difficult with film, too, is you can go to a community like this. It's really my first time doing something like this, but it's like very difficult to make it look easy, you know, and real in, in a way. Having like all the pieces there, but then kind of you really do need to sort of recreate it because once you have a camera rolling, it totally it becomes fiction, right? It becomes like it has, has an artifice to it. Um, and so th- sometimes that can be really challenging of like, okay, well, how can we make this feel like it would feel if there was no camera? So once the camera turns on, it kind of changes. Um, you, you start to be, to be filming something that isn't real. And so working with so many amazing community members and opening up their homes uh, like Luella, um, Virginia, being able to film at Mondo's was amazing. I, I think it's closed. The last time I was there, yeah. it was closed. I think Mondo went to school. Um, but yeah, it was just like incra- crazy. So amazing, so emotional, so difficult and so rewarding at the same time. I'm so happy we were able to <laughs> capture something that that feels real. It's mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's a huge feat and really um, I feel so accomplished for our, our crew and everyone. So it was really cool to not only, again, learn all about you and your crew and everyone, but the Autumn that were included, like Camillus Lopez and Larry Wilson, who are both Autumn elders, and then uh, Amaya, who is one of the main characters, of course, the little girl, little Autumn girl, and Zumi. Zumi uh, Carrillo, was that her Yeah, Swemi. Swemi Carrillo. She... um... Yeah, we haven't spoken about her yet. So she, we were casting, needed a cast for the girl that plays opposite Amaya. And she was going to be 
um, you know, somebody who was traveling across the border with you know, her father and they got separated. And so Swemi, we found at a local, um, a local elementary school in Tucson that mm. was a bilingual school. And we went to like two or three of those different schools and I would kind of meet with the kids at lunch in the principal's office and they'd kind of come in and we would we'd hang out and um you know when we found her we were like she just had that face that just you could tell it, it felt like there was just like so much going on inside and just sort of like worlds of emotion in there and um she was perfect and she was she started the shoot being very shy and kind of um reserved and then Amaya is a bit of a rambunctious uh girl and so by the end they were both kind of doing crazy things together and um, Amaya would rope her into all of her shenanigans and you know and stuff like that and so we kind of had to keep them a little bit separated towards the end because we weren't getting any work done but um they were great together and they really they they truly did we, we tried to shoot it in order as much as we could and by the end they really you know when they hold hands like they, they really did have that bond um and they had met four days uh earlier what was the time frame how long did it take to film on uh the thought automation so we shot for four days we shot the weekend before it was kind of a really like our last opportunity to film because we shot the weekend before the uh, migration to um, or the journey to uh, Magdalena, mm -hmm. the uh, the walk. And mm -hmm. so a lot of people were preparing for it and Virginia was helping prepare for it. And a lot of people were going to be gone. And so we shot the weekend right before that and we did a four day shoot. But man, in terms of just the entire process, I, I wrote it, I think 2017, 2016, like kind of within a year of that election. And then um, 2019 is when I first started talking with them, uh, meeting Larry. And then we filmed like in September, 2019. And so then post-production and all this. So you can see like all these years, how long it kind of can take, especially with COVID for a film um, like that. But in terms of just shooting it, we, sh we filmed um, in Piscinimo. We filmed, that's where the trailer is. We filmed in cells, outside of cells um kind of out, uh, the community of cells outside of that community and then we also filmed in y at the mm -hmm. y uh casino out there so it was really like a pretty sprawling shoot and we were based in tucson um yeah it was a, only a four-day shoot but it was they were long days because of all the driving and really yeah. planning and scheduling uh out all the driving mm -hmm. in between was the kind of the hard part i think the, <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> it was so important to me that we had clouds in the sky it was so important um i think i this is gonna sound crazy but when i was like 14 i was really into michael bay movies and um one of the things he always said was that you need to have clouds in the sky because if you're ever like moving the camera and the sky is just blue then you don't get any perspective of the camera moving and you don't you don't you lose a lot of that perspective and I know the desert sky there is, you know, barely rains, so it's going to be blue a lot. It was a beautiful blue. But um, I also thought there was this motif of kind of this something just kind of like hanging over them, um, like a weight, an emotional weight to the story as well. And so it was just so important to me that we had clouds and that also meant monsoons. And so that was something that we wrestled with. And that was like a, you know, a really important part of the film as well. But we also got mini cars stuck in the mud. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just been really cool to hear all that you've been sharing with us today. And I'm curious to know, how how did you know who to contact when you decided to make connections with the Thawna Autumn Nation? Well, we first tried to go the correct way. So we first tried to talk with the PR office. There's an actual office. There's like a Thawna Autumn PR. And there's two people who work there and they both have the same name, I think. 
I, I think one of the big problems was that elections had just happened. And so there was like a transitional period of like who was actually kind of in charge at that point and the people who were on their way out. Like, I think, what was his name? He was the uh, the chairman of the nation before. But anyways, mm-hmm. that was it was like sort of this period where it, not very many decisions were getting made. And so we were like, well, we, you know, we only have to shoot by, by August if this is going to happen and everything. And so, so we actually drove to the PR office in Tucson. I mean, this is what I mean. Like we just, just drove down there and then we went to the government building. I know there's a government building there in cells and spoke with them. And um, I think through emailing with them, we got in touch with the community council, the cells community council, because that's who would have had to approve it to shoot in just in cells. And that was months and months of kind of back and forth. Um, and then that's when we got in touch with, I think it was the secretary of the Cells Community Council. And once we were there, really able to pitch in person and talk in person, mm-hmm. I think we were scheduled for a 15 minute meeting and we sp- all spoke together for an hour. They actually passed a resolution at the end yeah. of the meeting yeah. to that the film could go forward. And then Larry had just become elected of the, to the chairman of, of the Cells Community Council. And so the old chairman... <laughs> Uh, or I think chairwoman turned to him and said, they're the, they're your problem now. <laughs> and no kidding. Like, oh my God. It was like his very first project as the new, you know, chair of the council. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were really both figuring it out together. We were like this big problem and project for him. And we also like, you know, had a big project. So um, I think we all bonded up because of that, you know, because yeah. I would describe to him, I would say like, well, I, I really want a vista that looks like this with like the peak in the background and he's like okay and then he would like think of something and then be like and then just sort of direct us and i'd be like i need something with like these types of cactus or like this type of thing and then we would kind of like oh maybe by the airport and so yeah. a lot of it was just driving around with larry all over the nation kind okay. of finding places and um those are those moments that were really fun uh, mm-hmm. when we'd kind of get into trouble and kind of be figuring it out it was a really special experience yeah, and I also see that he he got credit for being an executive producer for the film, him and Camillus. I know, correct? and not only that, but um, the Red Nation Film Awards, which is sort of like the Oscars for Native stories and cinema, TV, uh, they honored him with um, Film Consultant of the Year Award. Wow. And so it almost looks like an Oscar, a <laughs> uh, big, heavy award, and came to L.A., and uh, we had, like, a red carpet here and everything at one of the local theaters, and they called his name, and he had no idea. It was, like, an it was an award made just for him. He wasn't in competition, so it was, like, an wow. award created for him. He got up there, and um, I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on right now? You know, this whole audience of famous actors, a lot of people wow. from Reservation Dogs. And like all of these things, I'm looking around and like Larry's up there on stage accepting this award. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. It was crazy. It's always good to hear Autumn in those kind of places and spaces. And that's a saying that we have um, in the Autumn community. Like we always say, Autumn are everywhere. We really are. And it's just pretty cool, you know, to hear those kind of stories. And, you know, speaking of films, I recently watched the, the, I don't know if you've seen it before, Boys on the Side. No, was it Boys on the Side? Yeah, with Whippy Goldberg and Drew Barrymore. It came out in 1994 or 5, I believe. And, And for me, again, speaking of autumn representation, that because it was filmed here in Tucson, and oh. and they recreated the Tumacockery Festival. Tumacockery is a national pre- prehistoric park. 
a part of the National Park Service um, just south of Tucson, probably like a good 30 minutes from here. It's a, a an old church, Catholic dwelling where they uh, ought them and um, missionaries uh, resided, lived together, all those things. But anyways, they have a festival every year. And as part of that film, they recreated that. And including wow. as a part of that recreation, they had uh, an Ot the Wida band. That's another thing I've heard you guys talk about in your Q&As is the music. Uh, yeah. But Wida music was a part of one of the scenes in there. And when we seen it, we we looked at each other and we just busted out laughing because <laughs> we couldn't believe and then, uh, so like it shows the scene of um, the the band playing the autumn band playing, and then it goes to another separate scene where Whippy Gobert is sitting on the side uh, under a tree, and that made us laugh even more because we're like, <laughs> Whippy oh Gobert is just chilling, <laughs> and there's a lot of music in the background. <laughs> That's what's so special is like the autumn culture is it's in the zeitgeist of American filmmaking, and it's just sort of unknown in a lot of ways i got to speak with one of the fathers of one of the boys in the film who were do- doing the rap the author rap and um he said he's working with a like a film society or a, a group at the nation and what they're doing is they're going through all of these old westerns and they're cataloging and recording pulling all of the native languages that are spoken in those films because a lot of times they would just have the producers would have people from the different reservations or communities come and they would just be speaking their own languages. And those have kind of been like lost to time, but they're now pulling those all out, translating them. There's all these like, mm. and a lot of them are awesome languages or, wow. you know, um, it's the awesome language. And so, um, yeah, I would love to see more awesome in, uh, in cinema and mm-hmm. not in the background. That's always been a goal <laughs> is to make it in the foreground. There's always the perspective in the Westerns that it's just the side characters and it never seemed to be kind of like, I always wondered like, why is it not like, why aren't the you know Native American stories, why aren't they the center? Um, and like, what does that look like from the other perspective and things like that? Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I always thought of as a little kid. And so um, I spent a lot of time on Native reservations with my father um, mm-hmm. fishing because he was a big fisherman. I was never into it, but it was kind of like (laughs) the ways that we bonded. It was like the kind of one-on-one father-son time. So um, it's always been something in kind of my, like back of my mind, something I always grew up with. And so it's been such a special, um, it's been special, so special to make, you know, I think lifelong friends in a lot of cases (laughs) and collaborators too. And it was even exciting to see Eva Longoria um, in in that Q&A. So how did uh, she become as involved as she is now with the film so she is from corpus christi texas so we share that she grew up basically on a, in a border town and so as you know kind of she's progressed in her career and her star has has risen she has still done so much uh, work on the border um with with organizations throughout her entire career and so that really jumped out at me as like this is a person that would be an amazing advocate an amazing uh, person to help support the film and give voice because whenever you can get people involved in these projects who have a much bigger profile that it can raise the profile of this story and so that she was the perfect person and um 
my amazing, talented producer, Liz Cardenas, mm-hmm. who is also from Texas, got in touch with her people and she agreed to come on board. It was amazing. And mm-hmm. so we just kind of thought that would be that, like she mm-hmm. would just kind of put her name on it. But mm-hmm. she made it very clear that she doesn't do that. She doesn't just put her name on things. She becomes super involved in every way that she can and help in every way that she can. If she's something she believes in, she goes 100%. And so that was stunning to hear. I was like, oh my gosh, we, this is an amazing partner to have. And so they, we did an interview with her and um, she's been amazingly supportive on social media. And she actually is a director too. And so we got to bond um, talking about directing and that was surreal and so cool. Uh, she has a film coming out um, soon as well that you guys should check out. Awesome. That's great to hear. Well, you know, it's it's just been really cool. And I'm glad that we got the time with you today to capture your story, to capture the background story of the film itself. How can folks see this film? I know for a short time it was available online mm-hmm. on YouTube. Um, but now, it, how can they watch it now? So right now, we are working to figure out how the film is going to be distributed. So we're hoping that we can, um, the goal is to get a distributor on board. Hopefully it will be on some type of streaming service or something like that um, for people to watch. But in the meantime, unfortunately, it's just kind of still at film festivals. Um, I need to update the website. There's a bu- I think we have like six or seven festivals this month. Um, and some of them will have like, we'll have online festival so you can kind of go on and, and potentially just be able to watch the short um so i'll update that that's burrowsthefilm.com burrowsthefilm.com and that's where a lot of that information is but soon soon i think hopefully at, you know in the next few months i would really hope that we're able to release the film um online for everyone to watch again awesome yeah so um we're looking forward to that absolutely exciting and once again thank you so much for being a part of to young voices for being on the show for sharing everything that you've shared today and for having the passion the interest and the curiosity to create this film based off what you felt back in 2016 thank you for for that honor to be on the show and be happy to come back Anytime. I had a blast. It was wonderful meeting you, Valentina, and talking with you. And um, yeah, I hope I wish you the best of luck with the podcast. That's super cool. Keep me in the loop with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, yeah, I hope to chat again soon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to today's episode on Thon Autumn Young Voices. Make sure to go check out the other episodes. You can find us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.